Today's reading is from Psalm 15. A Psalm of David. Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? The one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart, whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbour and casts no slur on others, who despises a vile person but honours those who fear the Lord, who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind, who lends money to the poor without interest, who does not accept a bribe against the innocent. Whoever does these things will never be shaken. Let's pray. Father God, uh, thank you for your word. Thank you that uh, here we have a picture of who can dwell in your sanctuary, who can live on your holy hill. And Father, as we consider these words, we pray that you penetrate our hearts with the Holy Spirit, that we are convicted uh, of the life that you have called us to live. But we are also filled with great awe and wonder at the type of God and the character that you have. And so, Father God, bless us now and help us to understand these words. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, where is the place you go in order to get away from everything else? Here. Did I hear here? Wow. Where is your sanctuary? Not that I'm surprised. Uh, You know, the place that you can go and take a deep breath, steal a few minutes away from everything, Do you have a special lounge chair, maybe, in which you love to sit, take a few breaths, even read a book or just zone out with the TV? Uh, Is it a special room in your house? Is it your backyard? Is it a beach? Is it a rock somewhere that you like to go in the mountains and sit on? Or do you just put your headphones on, zone out and listen to music that you love? Do you find yourself stealing a few seconds in the car when you arrive at a place because the car is the only place you can uh, find that moment? Do you spend the year waiting for a two-week holiday to that special place that you know you can go and relax? Or is it simply heading back to where you grew up, the place where everything's familiar, you understand the people, things make sense? Well, for me, I've got a special rock, and I'm not telling you where it is. (laughs) It's in Glenbrook National Park. I go and sit on it, and you'd only ever go there if you wanted to go to that rock. There's no way that anyone else would bother going there. So where is your sanctuary? And when you go to that sanctuary, are there many people that are allowed into your sanctuary? Chances are there's few. So the thing about sanctuaries is it's only good for a time. That's why it's a sanctuary. To recharge, to to bring yourself back to equilibrium, if you like. But then there's a time where you need other people again. 
How long does it take before you start thinking, yeah, I'm done with myself and you need to other people? Ten minutes, a whole day, a couple of weeks? See, though we long for solitude now and again, we are built for relationship and we desire it. So who are the people you would invite into your sanctuary? Who are the chosen few? Or who are the people you long to be around when you need company? Who are the people you invite into your life to share these special places with? Or maybe you're a person who just loves having all of your friends as part of your life all of the time. And what kind of people are these people? What values do they have? Chances are they're aligned to what your values are, your likes are, the way that you uh, like to think. Well, today in Psalm 15, King David asks the very question of God, about God. If you have a look at verse 1, he says, Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? He's asking, Lord, who's allowed into your sanctuary? So the question we need to ask ourselves today is when I come to the door of God's sanctuary, will I be the type of person that he wants in there? When I arrive at that door, will he say, you are my kind of person, come in? See, we're often left with many questions when we read a psalm such as Psalm 15. And one of the important questions here is the question of why. Why did David ask this question of God? What's the background? What's the setting? What's he possibly thinking here? Well, it may not be easiest for no, easy to know the answer to that. But what we do know is that David constantly reflected on his relationship with God. David was acutely aware during his life that his life did not live up to what God asked of him. It was evidenced in him in two ways. Firstly, there was the obvious spiritual barriers and the physical barriers. You see, spiritually at times, David suffered much and felt that God was far away. David seemed to long to be closer to God. In fact, it brought anguish in him at times. In Psalm 13, he cries, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? In Psalm 10, he cries, Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? I'm sure most of us have asked that at some time. You see, David is yearning to walk with God and to serve him all of his days. He is yearning to be closer to God. He felt he just could not get close enough to God. There was a spiritual barrier there. God was another. God's character was different to ours. And that is the ravages of sin. 
But there was also an obvious physical barrier in David's life. God dwelt physically amongst the Israelites in a tent known as the tabernacle. And that tent sat on top of a hill in Jerusalem during David's time. And within the tent was that special place called the Holy of Holies. Nobody worthy to enter that Holy of Holies except the high priest once a year. And even then he had to make atonement for the sin of all the people and the priests would tie a rope around his leg when he went in case he wasn't worthy enough and he was struck down so they could drag him out and didn't have to smell a body for 12 months. See, there were spiritual and there were physical barriers. But to even come close to God's tent, you would need to carry your sacrifices up the hill to be slaughtered at the entrance to the tent to clean you from your failings. Spiritual and physical barriers. And so David asks, Lord, as he looks up at the hill with the tabernacle there, that only one person can go in once a year and only for a short time. He says, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may dwell on your holy hill or holy mountain? Will there ever be someone worthy enough to go into this sanctuary? What kind of person would they have to be? See, David wrote this psalm reflecting on God, on God's character, and the reason those barriers were there. Because God is a holy God. God's holiness made it impossible for him to enter into that holiness because of the reality of who he knew himself to be. See, what kind of person do you allow into your sanctuary? Well, chances are it's someone you can relate to, someone who understands you, someone who knows you. To sum it up, I think it's somebody who speaks about things like we speak, does things like we do them, and values the things we value. And these are the things we look for in those to invite in our sanctuary because if they're not aligned to who we are, they're just going to create a problem in this sanctuary. And God's no different. God desires to dwell with those who speak the way that he speaks, does as he does, and values as he values. See, David was under no illusions about these barriers. But he goes on in this psalm, in verses 2 to 5, after reflecting on the holiness of God, to come up with these characteristics of the person who would, that would be able to go in. Let me read verses 2 to 5 to you. The one whose walk is blameless, without blame, no sin, who does what is righteous, who is forever faithful to the Lord, who speaks the truth from their heart, never lies, is willing to sacrifice everything so that the truth can be out there, whose tongue utters no slander. They see people in the image of God. They don't 
drag people down with their words. They don't slander. Who does no wrong to a neighbour? The golden rules. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbour as yourself. Casts no slur on others. Doesn't defame people, but holds them up and encourages them and helps them to walk in this way. Who despises a vile person, but honours those who fear the Lord that in their heart of hearts loves the holiness around them, people who are living in a good way, who keeps an oath even when it hurts. You can trust their word, does not change their mind, who lends money to the poor without usury or interest. In other words, they are willing to sacrifice themselves to bring others up with their money. Who does not accept a bribe against the innocent. Whoever does these things will never be shaken. And you can classify these things in what we do and don't say, what we do and don't do, and what we do and don't value. We do speak the truth, we do not slander, we cast no slur. We do what is righteous, we do our neighbour no wrong, we keep an oath, we lend money without causing pain with interest to those who are poor. We don't accept bribes. And what do we value? Well, we despise vileness and ungodly behaviour, but we honour people who fear the Lord. We honour the wise man the one who lives according to God's ways. So if, we've, so if we've all turned away, as we are told in Romans, and in fact, if you have a look at Psalm 14, verse 3, all have turned away, all have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. So we've all turned away. David knows that. Paul has quoted Psalm 14 when he gives his great, uh, great exposition of Romans. If we've all turned away, then what is there for us? What hope? As David looks and asks this question, that's the question we should all ask. Well, Psalm 14:7, right before this psalm, and they're very interlinked says, oh, that salvation for Israel could come out of Zion when the Lord restores his people. Let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. You see, Paul knew this as the, the Pharisee of Pharisees. And he thought that the sacrificial system over and over would make us right with God, that somehow inherently we could be that. But the David realises we can't. And Paul in Romans, after quoting Psalm 14, goes on to explain that Psalm 14 verse 7 is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just read that for you. Romans 3 verses 10, verses 10 to 12. He says, there's no one righteous, not even one, no one who understands, there's no one who seeks God, all have turned away, they have together become corrupt. 
This is quoting the first bit of Psalm 14. And then in Romans 3, 22 to 25, he says this. This righteousness, but now, apart from the law, verse 21, a righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. See, in this psalm, the whole point is there's a holy hill with God's tent on it and no one can gain access. But now that access comes by faith because that sacrifice, the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus, the perfect spotless lamb, has been made. And so we do have access to that sanctuary, not in and of ourselves, but through the faith that we have in the perfection and the spotless lamb. The one who did what God said to do, says what God says, and values what God values. God the Son, Jesus. So who may dwell in the sanctuary of the Lord? Well, it's the one who has their faith in the sacrifice that pays the punishment and gains access. This is why we're told the temple in the the curtain in the temple was torn in two. That curtains kept people from the Holy of Holies. We now have access. To God, But the question that this psalm leaves us with is now that that's all been paid for us, how are you going to respond? See, the issue we have is that holiness remains and always will be the goal of God for your life. Grace, a gift. Salvation, a gift. Your future sealed. But true faith, as James says, expresses itself in works. And those works reflect the holiness of God. So Psalm 15 isn't just David going, well, no one can do it. Christ did it. (sighs) Okay, let's move on our merry way. Because there is a day where you're going to come to that door. I'm going to come to that door. And as you've dragged all your stuff up that hill of life, as you've sacrificed, as you've continued on, as you've you've done all the things that you've tried to do, knowing full well you haven't fulfilled it perfectly, but you've set your heart on the holiness that God has for you and the Holy Spirit that he's given you has clothed you in righteousness and now he drives you into perfection and holiness as a redeeming outworking of your life. And as you have that life, the pilgrim's progress, as you head up that hill to that day of your death where or the return of Jesus where you have to knock on that door, What are you dragging with you? What is in your suitcases? 
When you knock on that door and it's opened, what are you bringing with you? Things that moth and rust destroy? Or things that are never going to be destroyed? The things of the kingdom of God. What is your life invested in? Will, will, will God see a difference from the bottom of that hill to the top of that hill in your holiness? In every aspect of your life. You see, we are called to holiness. And I think the big barrier our church and most churches have is we go on our merry way living out our lives like the world does. We're no different to a club. But we are not called to be a club. We are called to be the holy, righteous people of God. And Paul says, my job is to present you blameless on that day. Now, that's an impossible task. Sometimes people think my job is to run a church. No, Paul says, my primary purpose is to have, at the end of the day, his people and present you. And I will be judged for that, the work that I've done here. And I'm telling you this because we have to realise that we are not just doing church. If our church is going to move on, we need to put off these things that this psalm says. The slander, the slurring. We need to seek the righteousness of God and the holiness of God. That's each one of us. We need to confess our sins. We need to move on. We need to recognise our powerlessness and put our trust in the Lord as we head up that hill. Because when you knock on that door, and the Lord Jesus, who is the gatekeeper, opens that door, he says there's two things. He's either going to go, welcome, I know you, or I don't know you. Oh, but we prophesied in your name. We did all these things in your name. He's going to say, but I did not know you. And what he means by that is you do not reflect me. I don't know who you are. You're not a person I'm going to bring into my sanctuary. You may do all the religious stuff. You may, you may be in all these positions of power and you may be wonderful in all these ways as far as the worldly church goes, but I don't know who you are. I'm not bringing you into my sanctuary. And what he's saying is that he wants your heart. He wants your relationship. In those suitcases, you don't need anything. You actually don't need suitcases. You're not going to come and bring your trinkets and put them on your shelf. You're going to go, Lord, look what you've done. I know I'm not perfect, but gee, you, should, you, knew, you knew me before you called me. You knew when I used to walk Christians across the uh, plank across sewage at school. True story. You knew when I used to undermine and destroy people in my workplace to get ahead. You knew the lies that I told to earn more money when really I was just taking advantage of people. 
But now I've chosen to confess and I'm doing it and I'm living in the spirit and I'm, I'm sorry still for not being perfect, but Lord, look what you've done. And if we are not heading in that direction as a church, we are not heading in any direction. Holiness. It is the other side of the coin of salvation and that is the purpose of everyone's life in Christ. And through that holiness, you bring the glory to the Father, through the Son. Through your humility, you cast all, all things onto him, all glory to him. And even when you arrive on that day, you go, look what you've done, Lord. And he goes, oh, Adrian, hey, I knew you were coming, come in. Much better than, sorry, I don't know you. Are you going to be a person that the Lord opens the door and welcomes in with the biggest hug you've ever had? Heavenly Father, thank you for this psalm. Thank you that you, called our, you have called us to a life of holiness Lord, it's not easy, but Father, you have given us the Holy Spirit to renew us from the inside out. And you ask us, Father, to put off the old self and put on the new, to put off the flesh and put on the spirit, to clothe ourselves with works for the kingdom of God, not kingdom of the world that moth and rust destroy. Father God, I pray for each of us. I pray that you help us to look inwardly. Help us daily to confess, daily to ask your forgiveness, but daily to walk with the joy and the strength of the Lord as we seek to honour you with our life. Father, make us holy. Help us to be holy because the Lord our God is holy. Bless us, Lord. And I pray that each one of us on that day, when the Lord Jesus answers that door, he will call us by name, welcome us in, and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen.